can go uh, familiarize yourself with the sign of uh, the song. And so I clicked on the link, and uh, up came the song. And you know on YouTube how underneath uh, the, whatever video there's room for people to post comments, right? Well, the, the top comment of this conversation caught my eye. And so I began to read and read my way through the conversation. And I want to share that conversation with you now. There were about five people who made ten different comments. And um, I'm just going to read their name and then their comment and one to the next. The main person who makes five comments named Leslie. And she starts out. Leslie, I'm an atheist, but the quality of this song is just amazing. Douglas, Leslie, Jesus is alive and real. Leslie, lovely that you think that way. I respect your religion. Respect my non-religiousness and leave me in peace with my non-beliefs. ACF, we're not preaching religion. We're preaching Jesus. There's heaven. It is real. Being an atheist is living for your flesh, your sinful nature. To satisfy your interest, come and accept Jesus as your Savior. He loves you and he will give you eternal life. Leslie goes to show you don't really understand the meaning of being an atheist. Wow, some people are so ignorant. ACF. I recommend you to read the Bible. Leslie, I have all of it. That's why I'm an atheist. I recommend you read it yourself and open your eyes. I do not care for your religion. Let me be. Vinny, I am Catholic and I respect your beliefs. I'm not the type of person to actively want people to seek out Jesus. Leslie, my closest friend is Catholic. What I'm saying is, I'm fine with other people. As long as we get along, I'm fine with it. Just don't shove your religion in my face. That's all. Utam, dear sis, believe him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I think what... There was a couple of things that jumped out at me as I read that, but I think what really um, piqued my interest was that this conversation, for me, really seems to capture the spiritual temperature or the climate of the culture that's out there, and really one that's been developing for about 200 years um, since the Enlightenment when we did away with um, reason and being able to know and to discern truth. And so the, the popular climate is it's, it's quite okay for you to believe what you want to believe and you can believe what you want to believe is true and it's true for you. Actually, it's true for you. And what you believe is true for you and what I believe is true for me, but just don't tell me that anything's tr- true overall, that your truth is, has an impact on my truth. We call this pluralism. There are plural or many truths is the, the, the popular belief. And, and, and the, the biggest truth overall, actually, um, though it's unspoken, is don't make your truth normative. Don't press your truth on me. There's many, many things that are true. And I think that when us here who 
believe Jesus to be the truth and the Bible to be God's revealed word and will, read these comments in this conversation, our reaction might be twofold. At least mine was. My first reaction was, hey, that doesn't work. Philosophically, intellectually, rationally, it does not work. It's self-defeating. There cannot be opposing truth claims that are both true at the same time. One of them is true and one of them is not. There has to be, logically and philosophically, one truth that's normative. So it doesn't work. But I recognize that we're not dealing always on the level of rational because sin affects our ability to think clearly. So then I have this second reaction when I come down to Vinny's comments at the bottom and I read a Catholic. You all know that Catholics are Christians, right? It's like a, a we have multiple denominations. Catholicism is one denomination of Christianity. Christian Reformed is another. Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians. We're all speaking Jesus. We're all speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves the world, comes to the world in Jesus gives the offer of the forgiveness of sins through his death, resurrection, new life, faith in him, right? We're all speaking the gospel. We're just speaking it with different accents. It's like many different accents of English. I hope that's clear. Okay, Catholics are Christians. And when a Catholic says, you can believe whatever you want to believe, and I won't push Jesus on you, and I'm not the kind of person to say that other people ought to actively seek Jesus, My spirit grieves, and I think something's wrong here. Something's wrong. I think, Vinny, you don't understand Jesus. I think you don't understand the Gospel. I think you don't understand what it means that we need a Savior. So those are my two reactions. And I bet if you spent time with this conversation, you might have those similar reactions. So here's our reactions. We denounce pluralism. It doesn't work. And we grieve over people who don't want to see Jesus shared. Now, hold up those reactions and think about this for a minute. How consistent is my life with my reactions to that email? How consistent are my conversations and my interactions with people who don't know Jesus and who maybe have heard the message before and aren't responding with my belief that pluralism doesn't work, that there is one revealed truth, that God has come in Jesus, that all the world has to respond to him one way or the other, and that every Christian ought not, like Vinny, but oppositely to actively seek that others would know and respond to Jesus with love, faith, and obedience. And when you ask that question, I think for many of us, that brings us into an awareness of, oh, you know, there, there is inconsistency in the way that I engage or don't engage in conversations with unbelievers with what I think I ought to be doing. And I think what it brings to light is the uncomfortability, the uncomfortability of having these really direct evangelistic conversations. And I'm saying all of this as a lead into our text this morning because Jesus is, for this morning, he's going to model for us love, divine love that is so thick that it's willing to engage in difficult conversations 
that other people might come into an experience of life and not perish. And so what do we see in Jesus? We see three things in Jesus. The first one is that we see that Jesus calls people to make right judgments about their true spiritual condition. Very direct. He says to them, he says to the crowd, he says it in front of people. This is not a one-on-one conversation. It's very direct in public. He says, you people, you know how to read the weather. You can tell what that cloud means and what that wind means. And you don't know how to interpret the movement, the work of God at this present time in and through me. You can't see. You're spiritually blind, he says. And he calls for an awakening, an opening of eyes, so that they can see their present condition. And he does that by telling a story. And I want to tell a short story as a lead into that story. My father-in-law gave me permission to share that a number of years ago, he and mom had a neighbor sue them. And it was a neighbor who decided that um, they wanted to sell their property. And so they put up a sign. They were going to sell it. But included on that sign and that intent to sell was a part of my parents' property. See, my parents had let them use a portion of it for a number of years, and so they just decided it was theirs. And uh, when my father-in-law made it clear to those that would be interested in purchasing that um, it was not exactly as advertised, and that it wasn't all the seller's property, but some of it actually belonged to he and mom, the neighbor took him to court, decided to sue him. He was going to press squatter's rights. So long story short is, they end up, uh, just before the, the, the point where they would go into court uh, before the judge in, in a place where they're being, what was the word? De- deposed. They're being deposed, having a deposition. And after the depositions take place, they're left alone in a room, uh, mom and dad, with the neighbor. And they do this on purpose. The intent is hopefully you can work things out before you get to court. And in this room, uh, dad makes really clear to the neighbor, he says, don't you know that you're going to lose this case because of A and B and C and D? He'd done a lot of homework as his lawyer. And not only that, but the case is going to take a long time. And you can't sell a house that's um, in a lawsuit. And immediately, when his neighbor realized those two things, including and especially the fact that he was going to lose, he dropped the case, and changed his tune 180 degrees. Attempted everything in his power and his ability to make things right. What I want us to hear from that is that when a person has revelation, when they begin to understand, wait a minute, I'm coming seeking a judgment, and actually I'm the one who's going to be judged, I'm in trouble. I'm going to lose. That he actually had the self-awareness and the intelligence, even though what he was doing in the first place lacked integrity, he had the intelligence to, whoa, let's, let's try to work this out. Let's make things right. Would you like... And Jesus, is, in telling this story, is saying, folks, you're on your way to a judge. That judge is God. And it's not a matter, in this story that Jesus tells, it's not a matter of whether you've done anything wrong. 
your adversary has something against you, meaning there's a judgment against you already, you owe something, and if you get to the point where you're before the judge and you haven't recognized, your eyes haven't been opened to the fact that you owe something and you're going to be judged for it, you will be thrown into debtor's prison. It's the long story short. Debtor's prison in that society was a place where you would be held until your debt was paid and where, in fact, you would be progressively tortured worse and worse as a stimuli for the people on the outside who knew you and loved you and might have money to pay your debt for you. Very few people that ever went into debtor's prison got out because their debts weren't paid. Now, Jesus isn't telling this story to say to us, hey, Once you reach judgment, there's a way that you can get out from underneath that judgment. He's not saying you can somehow earn your way out of hell. He's saying, folks, open your eyes and realize on the way that you need to get right with your adversary before you come to the point of judgment. Be sure that you are right. And he's telling them this with vivid imagery, really directly, because he loves them. Because he does not want them to reach the point of before the judge and not having been told by the adversary, don't you realize you're in the wrong and you're going to lose? He wants them to have this crystal clarity so that they can turn. And the brutal, horrible thing in this moment is that they don't have the wherewithal to heed his warning. And so, instead of responding directly, watch what they do. He's saying, he's saying, you look at yourself and make right judgments. And they turn the camera off themselves and they say, Jesus, what about these Galileans? Those people over there that Pilate killed. And the, the inference is, are they coming? Are they coming under God's judgment? See, Jesus said, look at yourself. He, Are they coming under His judgment? And Jesus doesn't buy it. He doesn't take the redirect. He says to them in effect, look, you're looking at the first death. But you ought to use that as an occasion to consider the second death. Revelation 20 talks about two deaths. We're all raised from the dead for judgment and second death is nothing to the Christian. It's not present. Because we're with Jesus. But he's saying, Jesus is saying, look, don't look on them and think that God's judging or their sin's worse because this thing happened to them. If Jesus were telling that story today, he would probably say to us, um, you'd probably have people, actually it it happened after 9-11 and after Hurricane Katrina. I remember both of those. Um, There were those who were saying, it's God's judgment against New York and against Wall Street and against corporate greed. That's God's judgment. And other people were talking about New Orleans and saying that's God's judgment against licentiousness and sexual sin. And and then God would say, um, take the camera off them and, and do you think that your sin, that your standing before God is any better, that you're somehow less of a sinner? Jesus says, look at yourself. And here's the key word. Repent. Turn away. Turn away from your self-led life that's full of anger or greed or lust or jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness or whatever it is. Jesus says, He always turns the camera back to us and says, look at yourself. Make right judgments. Have you repented? Have you turned back to God? Have you come into new life? 
And he closes out this section with a warning. He tells another story to them. And he says, and this, in effect, his warning is, God is so patient, but his patience has a limit. It doesn't carry on forever. So the first thing Jesus said was, make right judgments about your spiritual condition. The second thing what Jesus said was, look past, use the first death as an occasion and look past it at the second He doesn't use those words, but he's telling us to look at, consider eternity and turn our lives around from their present direction, place faith in him lest we perish. And the third thing he says is, you need to heed this warning because God's patience doesn't last forever. And um, when I read this section, I, I can't but be overwhelmed by the amount of God's patience because in the story... Jesus tells the, the vineyard owner comes down and he says, hey, um, this tree, I've been looking for fruit for three years. Hey, He doesn't mean I've been, I planted it three years ago and this tree is only three years old and it should be bearing fruit by now. It doesn't mean like it, this is the, the, the first season it, it should bear fruit and I'm expecting and it's not here. And so he's not a quick judge. He means it was planted many years before that and three years ago, it should have reached the point of maturity where I was beginning to see fruit. Three years ago. And three years, I've already, three in a row, I've already come down looking. I've been, I've been nurturing. I've been watering this tree. I've been pouring into it. My own energy. My own nutrients. My own time. And it's not responding. And so now I'm saying, cut it down. And the owner says, one more year. One more. There's this patience. And if, and if it doesn't produce fruit, then okay. I, I, um, I couldn't help but call to mind as I read this section that there have been people who I've ministered to in my six years here at Gold that have died. Not of old age. I remember one man in particular who lived in the house next to the church and whom... For several years, I called to make right judgments and to be right with God. And I don't know. I'm not his judge. I don't know where he is now. But I know that he's not alive on this earth. And what that calls to mind for me is that sometimes God's judgment, because he's the one who knows all our days are written in his book, right? Sometimes his judgment comes not after old age, and death, but even in this life, sometimes it's just too late. And sometimes a person is given so many opportunities and they just continue to reject and reject and reject Jesus and get harder and harder. And then God says, okay, I release you to what you're choosing. So all of this brings to mind the need for vessels people who would be willing to be filled and motivated by the same divine love that filled Jesus and to speak the same warnings that Jesus spoke because the intent of Jesus speaking isn't to condemn. It isn't that people would perish. It's that they would have life. And so the question for us this morning that I think we're left with as we look on at Jesus the evangelist is... Can that same love of God 
flow through us to the tune that we would be willing to have direct, difficult conversations in which we would tell people, we would plead with people, even through tears, get right with God. Get right with God now. Respond rightly to Jesus and to the love that God has for you, lest you perish. I want to close um, by telling a story that illustrates, I think, both the need for us being bearers of that message and the difficulty of it, as well as the willingness of God to um, strengthen and provide us with what's necessary to have those conversations. So the story comes from uh, North Carolina. The ministry that Pastor Gina and I teach with is called Presbyterian Reforms Ministries International. That's that's, um, who we teach uh, about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit with. And the director of that ministry's name is Brad Long. Brad's wife, Laura, is a pastor. Laura is a little five foot six um, Caucasian woman who pastors an entirely African American church in rural North Carolina. And one particular week, as Laura was preparing for Sunday worship, she felt the Holy Spirit prompting her preach a strong, clear, direct message on repent or perish. I don't know the text. I wonder if it was this one. But I've heard the story um, now twice from Brad. Laura senses preached this strong message, very clear. And she just wonders to herself, why am I um, being asked to preach this message? You know, I don't, my congregation's small and I, I don't know anybody in the congregation that, that necessarily needs to hear it right now. But she knew it was the Lord, and so she prepared. And she prepared that message, and she prepared it well, and she was ready to give it. And she got up Sunday morning in front of her congregation, first thing, to welcome the congregation. And what does she see when she stands up but two white people sitting in the back, which stood out to her because there weren't normally white people in her congregation. And when she looked a little closer, she realized that those white people were her parents her parents who hadn't been in church for almost 20 years, and her dad for whom they'd been praying and who didn't know the Lord. And so all of a sudden she was thrust into this agonizing um, torment. Oh God, what do I do? I can't preach this message. I can't, my, my parents are going to think I'm talking directly to them. I can't do that. Lord, and you know there's about 30 or 40 minutes from the opening of the service to the time the sermon starts, and she's wrestling that whole time. Lord, what do I do? God, I can't, I can't do this. And she felt the Holy Spirit saying, I called you to do this. Trust me. Do it, and I'll give you the strength. And so in weakness, she said, Lord, I'll do it. But, Lord, you just got to know, I, this is difficult. I'll do it. I'll be your messenger. So she got up. And she preaches this sermon. It preaches everything that the Lord gave her. Closes the service. And in that tradition, she goes to the back and people file past her on the way out and shake her hand. And her dad comes to her and he says with tears in his eyes, thank you so much for sharing that message. You've given me a lot to think about. 
That's all he said. He walked out the door, and she never saw him again. He died 36 hours later. But he died, she believes, and so does her mom, who was with him after that service. He died having repented, having placed his faith in Jesus. And so you can see again the need for being the bearer of that difficult message that would bring life and life eternal. It is not easy. Jesus does it because he loves. Jesus wants to live that, continue to to extend that love through us. We're his body here on earth. And so we're going to end by going into a time of prayer where we're going to ask the Lord for two things. Lord, would you highlight, would you call to our mind those people in our lives, and I pray you know many who don't know the Lord, that you would have us pray for, you would have us talk to directly, and that you would have us invite to worship next week Sunday as Pastor Gina brings a message on Easter Sunday of the life that Jesus offers to all of us. Lord, who would you have me invite? Who would you have me speak to? Who would you have me warn and plead with? Lord, I'm willing. We're in that same spot as Laura. Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing to do this. But I need you to strengthen me. And so the second thing I'll pray is, Lord, would you clothe us afresh with courage and with power from your spirit. We can't do this in our own strength, but you can. You did it. You did it through your disciples. You turned Peter into a, a, one who, a denier who ran away. You turned him from a denier who ran away into one who stood before a crowd of 5,000 and said, you killed the Messiah. You killed him. But God raised him from the dead so that we could have life. Now repent and come to him that you may receive the forgiveness of sins, and that he may pour out times of refreshing on you. God can do that in every one of us. Every one of us. He can bring about that transition. And so let's, let's enter into um, prayer now and let's ask. If you've got a pen and paper, I encourage um, having that handy and just writing down names that the Holy Spirit brings to, to you. And um, he'll give you a sense of the timing as well. Some of these conversations might be this afternoon. Some of them might be weeks or months down the road. Lord, guide us. Lord, we thank you that you long to bring life. That's your desire. You don't want to condemn. And Lord, we bless you for the life that you've brought us. And we offer ourselves to you to be those through whom you would warn and you would call to repentance. Lord, even awkward conversations with family members and friends. Lord, let no fear of man and no fear of what people will think, of judgment or conflict, let none of that get in the way 
And so, Lord, would you call to our hearts and to our minds right now those names of, of people in our lives that you want to reach out to through us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that above all we can count that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your character is unchanging. And so we look to your word and we remember that in Acts 4, your church called out to you and they said, Lord, clothe us afresh. Fill us. They called on you to consider the threat that was against them. And Lord, you shook that place. You filled it with your spirit. You came on your people to equip them to be bold in a context that was very hostile. Lord, you know what equipping we need. You know what hostility we may face. Whether it's in words or actions. But Lord, you know. You know what your church needs. And so we, your body, turn to you. And we pray, Lord, even as we make ourselves available, as we desire to be the vessel through whom your life comes, would you now clothe us afresh? Come on us in the words of the song, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Lord, fresh courage, fresh boldness, fresh fire from your Spirit. I have the sense that there's um, some prayers on a few of your hearts to be prayed. And so I'd, uh, I'm not sure, but I want to just test that by opening up. That if there's anyone here that wants to, feels the desire to pray out loud, um, now that you would, uh, before we move into singing our closing song. So Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that there are people in our workplaces that there are people in our schools, that there are people in our apartment complexes, and even in our own families, that you are going to set free, that you are going to draw into new life, and that we're going to get to watch you do that even through us. Lord, thank you. We thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Amen. Pastor Gina, would you come speak God's blessing over us before we sing a closing song? Church, this um, blessing comes from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And it comes from the NIV reader's version, so a youth version. Sometimes taking a long sentence and breaking it down simply helps us understand it better. And so this is your blessing from the Lord. The Lord Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. The God who gives peace brought him back from the dead. 
He did it because of the blood of the eternal covenant. May God supply you with everything good. Then you can do what he wants. May he do in us what is pleasing to him. We can do it only with the help of Jesus Christ. In church, the Lord blesses you to give him glory forever and ever. Amen.